Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones here today, joined by Lincoln Day. Uh, and we sat down and interviewed Ian McClure, who is, uh, well, he's got a bit of a mouthful of a title. Um, you're going to hear it here in just a second, but I'll go ahead and, and, and read it uh, for you guys here at the front as well. He is the chair-elect Autumn, uh, Associate Vice President for Research, Innovation, and Economic Impact, and Executive Director of UK Innovate at the University of Kentucky. So what all that means is he's working very closely with researchers at the University of Kentucky to take the research that they're developing, the technology they're developing, and commercialize that uh, and turn that into businesses. And so we had Lincoln join us on this interview because Lincoln has actually gone through that process. Um, so this conversation, we got to kind of go around what all is involved in that process, why it's important that we're paying attention to that, especially at the university level, um, and also all the different things around capital flowing into the state because those two things are very interconnected. Um, so Lincoln, it was, it was cool to have your perspective on this because you'd actually gone through it prior to uh, Ian joining the team. Um, but talk a little bit about you know what your perspective was like going through this and uh, maybe what you learned from talking with Ian today. Yeah. So when I started my business idea back in 2016, um, I just kind of had an idea to, that the, of some research going on at UK and I wanted to extract it and uh, put it into a business, which is kind of a, a rudimentary thing you would think to do, but it turns out that it's not. And people like Ian are absolutely necessary to that process and actually developing processes and programs and channels that make that process a whole lot more efficient and gaining the trust of our, our innovators and inventors at UK uh, to actually say, look, um, here's what we can do. Here's the business we can make of your product. Let's, let's work together and do that. So what Ian is doing, uh, I think, is really important, and, and I wish he would have been there, and I could have worked with him a little bit closer when I first got, got started. But yeah, I'm, I mean, great when, conversation. Yeah, when we were talking to him, you just kind of get an idea for everything that's going on and how much he actually has his hands in, and also just the importance of what's going on there for the state as a whole and for the region as a whole. So we actually talked about what we've been saying several times, which is don't think of Louisville and Lexington as their separate ecosystems, but as one cohesive uh, ecosystem. And we even touch on that. Ian brought that up in this conversation, some of their collaborations with the University of Louisville. So really awesome conversation about everything going on at UK's Office of Technology Commercialization. Um, before we dive into that conversation, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. Middle Tech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's Entrepreneurship and Innovation Partner. KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem, and we are proud to work alongside an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information at kyinnovation.com. We are also sponsored by Render Capital. The team at Render Capital is bringing much needed early stage capital to this region, and they've recently just released their 2021 year in review. In that year in review, they detail some of the work they've done, including investing over 2 million in local startups. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can download that year in review at render.capital. Our next sponsor is the Johnson Law Group and Brandon Johnson. Brandon represents my startup, and I've had great experience with them, and works with companies from inception to billion dollar valuations. Whether you are trying to formalize a side hustle or bring new technology to market, the Johnson Law Group is willing to help by offering a free 30 minute consult. Schedule yours today at thejohnsonlawgroup.com and tell him that we sent you. All right, guys, let's get into it. We are here with Ian McClure, uh, who has been on the podcast once before. 
uh, way back in the early days of Middle Tech, and we were really excited to have him on again. So, Ian, thank you for joining us. Um, when you came on the last time, you were the uh, executive director of UK's Office for Technology Commercialization, and now you've got a, a bit of a mouthful of a title these days, right? As if, as if the one you just said was not a mouthful in and of itself. Uh, what we do is we just <laughs> yes. create the longest words that we can come up with. So it just baffles anyone to try to say the, the title or the name of our, of our office. Yeah. Yeah. So your new title is Chair Elect Autumn Associate Vice President for Research, Innovation and Economic Impact and the Executive Director for UK Innovate at the University. That was very good. That was, that was excellent. Good. Okay. <laughs> Nailed it. Sweet. So we're excited to talk kind of all things, uh, technology commercialization, things that are going on in the state. You've been doing uh, a lot of things at the University of Kentucky and for the state since we last spoke. So it's, it's awesome to have you back on to recap all those things. Um, but to start, just give us a quick overview on, on what your role is and what kind of things you do in your role. Sure. Yeah. So we've been, um, 2021 was, was a year of change, uh, for us at UK and change in a good way. We hit, um, we'll call it an inflection point really, where we realized sort of a, a point of enlightenment that we had reached, uh, where we wanted to reach. We, we, we reached benchmark levels or above benchmark levels in our commercialization metrics and activity. And that was due to some of the investments that we talked about the first time that I was on this, uh, this podcast. Many years ago when I talked with Evan, we talked about the way that UK was investing in its commercialization team, resources, capabilities, uh, and what we were going to do with those investments at that point. We grew the team from six to 20 plus we grew programs. We brought in 15 million plus in uh, in grant funding to uh, build things like accelerator programs and training programs and proof of concept funds, and so uh, and we and we're now at highest ever levels of commercialization metrics and activity. Right, um, we were filing at that point that back in 2016, 2017. Before that, we were filing, you know, 30 patents a year. We filed 157 patents last year. We were bringing in about 50 or so inventions per year. Uh, we've been over 100 for the past three years. And so, you know, we, we hit a point where, all right, the shots on goal, the number of shots on goal are great, but we're going to get limited still if we don't invest even in, in, in a larger capability, in, in more resources uh, and, and really sort of an overall innovation and entrepreneurship umbrella to tackle not just the commercialization process, but the ecosystem, the culture being more pointed about not just reacting to the things that come into our office, right? Not just sort of being acting in what we call an ex post facto manner, right? So not just sort of taking what we get and then seeing if it fits somewhere in the market, but being more intentional about curating the things that get there. So training our faculty mm -hmm. about entrepreneurship, before they're even discovering their inventions uh, and, and things like that. So that's what we're investing in now. So UK Innovate is a new, the new innovation and entrepreneurship umbrella of, uh, of UK within our UK research enterprise. And it represents the largest investment that the, the university has made in innovation and entrepreneurship uh, capabilities. Uh, we're building three whole new teams. Uh, one is called social innovation, focused on social impact, social ventures, social building social enterprises. So tackling totally new markets for us, totally new, working with totally new types of innovation. Another is called innovation training. And that's where we get to what I just mentioned uh, a minute ago, teaching our faculty about product development, about, about the impact of entrepreneurial activity before they're even discovering their, their things, their inventions. 
And then, and then the last one is industry partnering. You know, every university has a way of partnering with, with industry. We've had a corporate relations office for, for many years, but we've never invested heavily in a focused industry partnering capability for research specifically and mm. for research partnerships uh, and innovation-based partnerships. And so I can't announce the name of the person, but we just hired our new leader of this. Uh, we're calling it UK Innovation Connect. Uh, and it's a new industry partnership team that's going to um, you know, take us to totally new levels when it comes to our ability to solve product development problems for industry uh, and accomplish the push and the pull, right? So universities are great at the push. We have academic freedoms. We have faculty that invent great things. They push science forward, but they're not always doing it in a listen mode first, right? To what industry needs, what product development problems are actually occurring. And so we want to do both the push and the pull uh, for the, for this. Connecting that real world versus academia. That's right. Uh, bridging that yeah, gap. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome to see you guys doing that because I can tell, I mean, you just kind of hit hit on it there, the growth that you guys have seen, but it seems like this is all just, you know, really started hitting on all cylinders over the past couple of years since we've had you on. So just want to commend you for the work you've been doing. I know you've worked really hard to get it to the point that it's at. Um, and when it comes to the University of Kentucky and commercialization of technology, is there something that UK is like really well known for when it comes to commercializing a specific type of technology? Yeah. You know, like many universities, we publish our research strengths. We call them research priority areas or on campus, just quickly, RPAs. What are our RPAs? You could look quickly at public information. You could look at where we derive most of our research funding and where we spend most of our research dollars. The majority is in the life sciences, health technology fields, right? The NIH is by far the largest funder of research at the university, 200 million plus, right? We have more NIH funding than any other university in the state has, period, in all, in all of their research funding. So that's a strength of ours. Six, I think, of our nine RPAs are related to health, uh, health problems, health solutions. Once we step out of that, though, we have other research strengths. And again, you know, the commercialization process for therapeutics, new drugs, medical devices, very different commercialization process than many other types of technologies. And so the commercialization roadmap is just a longer process, right? Investments in research today, you may not see license revenue from any of that for eight years, you know? So that's a different commercialization pathway. But others might also look at our strengths in agritech, um, uh, ag bio research, um, energy, and then more, more, even more pointedly than that, things that I think are going to be the future of where Kentucky can lead technologically is manufacturing innovation, material science, mm -hmm. and materials, the impact and interrelation between material science and manufacturing innovation. Uh, there's one thing that, uh, and this we'll get into this in a little bit, I think, but there's one thing that Kentucky can say it has that cannot be taken away and no other state can really say it has, which is its proximity to the rest of the country. It is a perfect logistical supply chain competitiveness place to do manufacturing, to ship and manufacture from. And that's why we have, for example, 183 metals industries companies here in the state, right? Because metals industry component part material for lots of priority industries of the country. And this is a place that you can do it and reach 60% of the country within a day's drive, you know? Yeah, I know that uh, I know that App Harvest really played on that that perk as well when they're kind of yeah. positioning themselves here in Kentucky. It's like you know we're within 
uh, a day's drive, I think of 70% of the U S or something like yeah. that. Um, but that's really cool to hear of kind of the different specialties or, or research fields. And you kind of hit on it there. It sounds like each process for commercialization is going to be different depending on the type of research and the type of uh, company that you're wanting to build around that. Um, so talk a little bit about how the office of technology commercialization helps, uh, researchers or, uh, faculty along as they conduct that research and try to turn that into a business. Yeah, this is really where we've we've changed the most in our capabilities at UK. Back in 2016, when we started this uh, this process uh, and invested in these things, we had six people, and so our resort was we had to be reactive and administrative and make quick choices, but we couldn't actually do the de-risking process. You know, so we've invested in a team. We have a we have a new commercialization team. We were split into sort of three teams. One is our intellectual property development team. They focus on our um, intellectual property protection and, and those strategies. We have a contracts team. They negotiate our licenses and negotiate our deals and agreements with our startup companies. Uh, and then we have our commercialization team intuitively our largest team and they do uh, very complex work which is actually working to de-risk our technologies further along in the process internally before we're sort of looking for partners, uh, we want to find out more about how to validate, how to prove the concept, how to find customers and get feedback internally. So um, we now have a team that's run by Eric Hartman, who is one of the foremost coaches slash mentors in the state when it comes to um, teaching and coaching early stage innovators about how to go through this process. Uh, he leads our commercialization team and we've built capabilities sort of to do this programmatically. It's tough for a university tech transfer office like ours where we get a hundred inventions plus a year and we can't spend the same amount of time with all 100 you know so we have to have a process that helps build selectivity into into the process we have to curate that pipeline down to the you know probably the 10 to 15 that we really dig into deep per year you know, and we take those into a uh, a series of programs uh, that are run through our launch blue accelerator we launched in partnership with other partners in the Lexington area, this launch blue entity, which has kind of two parts, an accelerator, which is for a little bit later stage companies, also companies that can come from anywhere. And we just recently opened launch blue to national stage companies, right? So anywhere in the country, you can apply and come. We want launch blue to become a premier national stage accelerator. But then we also have what we call UXL, which is a for university innovators, earlier stage um, innovator commercialization pathway driven. You don't have to be an actual startup entity formed yet, that kind of thing. And that's where we send you know, some of our, our most pointed uh, and high potential things because we need them to learn the process you know, through this programmatic coaching, mentoring, de-risking uh, process, which is really just about finding product market fit. Um, if you think about it, you know, a lot of this, the science might have been proven, but now we have to prove, is it worth anything? You know, completely different yeah, thing. Totally yeah. Different. And you keep, you keep mentioning the de-risking um, function of this entire process, which I think is probably the most important in terms of the commercialization. You know, the researchers and the faculty at UK have brilliant ideas and they follow different metrics sometime than someone with the, the focus of de-risking a business and trying to get it into the marketplace. So how do you kind of bridge that gap or how do you train the faculty to make sure that they're, you know, kind of aligning with your processes to, yes, you know, this is their baby, this is their 
invention, but we also need to de-risk this invention and be able to put it into the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. I love this question. You know, <clears throat> if you talk about de-risking or proof of concept um, to faculty, scientists, innovators, their mind immediately goes to, oh, we're talking about de-risking the technology. You know, we're, we're talking about validating the, the product that I'm designing. Um, that's not really well, you know, that's that's a part of it. That's not really what we're what we're getting at. What we're talking about is de-risking the investment in um, getting to market, right? Proving the concept not only works, but is in demand and someone would pay for it. Um, right. And that's where we focus. That's the commercialization process, right? Product development is a part of the commercialization process, but product development has to be reflective of proving the concept has a, an audience and a customer base. And that's what, that's what we focus in on. And so your office and your, your team there can kind of build out maybe specific scenarios to show the inventor, or the PI yeah. that here, here's a couple different ways that this can go about it. You know, kind of trust the process. That's important. That's why coaches are such impo- are such important tools to this process. You know, we bring in um, coaches that coach our teams through this process, and these are coaches that have been through that. They've got war stories, failure stories. You know, that failure stories are as important as as success stories uh, in this process. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to hit on, you know, what the the university's role is once a technology has actually been commercialized. It's proved to be viable. There's product market fit. I know you just mentioned the accelerator program. Uh, so maybe let's hit a little bit more on, okay, so we've we've got this piece of technology, this piece of research, we've commercialized it. What happens next? Does the, does the university get some sort of equity stake in that to help out? Uh, walk us through that whole process after the fact. Yeah, this is, you know, th- this aspect of university commercialization, technology transfer, is often overlooked because what we see is the, uh, the the pitch events and we see the accelerator stuff and um, but the actual um, the only point of leverage that we have to get commitment from the innovators is the license agreement the ability to transfer the rights out of the university into an entity is an inflection point event because if we do it too early. And we give all the goods away too early. And frankly, this is what we saw when I took inventory of all of our licenses back in 2016. We were letting go of all rope that we had early in the process. And our faculty were then sort of left without, you know, the right accountability measures or incentives to in, to continue to engage. Right. Um, mm. So we usually do this in a two-step process. Step one is providing an option. We started a program that we call the Startup License Program. And step one of this program is to provide an option to the faculty-founded startup entity. And that option, their ability to exercise that option and gain control of the license rights to the, to the intellectual property is based on their completion of, of course, our process, right? Go through the coaching, get the mentoring, prove to us that you have validated not just the product, but the product market fit, um, those kind of things. And then you can actually take the rights uh, and move from there. Um, the university always takes an economic interest. Traditionally, it's very small interest because if we're smart with ourselves or just honest with ourselves, if we take too large of an interest, we'll scare away investment. And we can't do that, right? It's more important for us to get these things into the market to entice investment. Uh, and if we've taken too much of a bite, our interest will get diluted anyway. We renegotiate our economic position often if a company actually succeeds, but that's a good thing, right? If I'm renegotiating my economic position in a startup, 
that means they've actually made it to certain milestones and now there's other interested parties and inventors and we're a smaller part of the cap table, which is fine, fine with us. Um, equity stake, we actually just published an equity policy um, uh, going through our board approval. The average university take in equity in startups is 6 to 8%. It's, um, but that's a little different in pharma. Pharma is closer to maybe 3, 3, 4, 5%. But there's equity and then royalty and uh, royalty uh, economic earnings. Those are the two ways that, uh, that universities generate a return uh, on this type of activity. But then you got to think about the pipeline. You know, 40% of our patents or so get licensed. 20% of those generate revenues. And less than 3% of those generate meaningful revenues. So, mm. you know, it, again, we're talking about shots on goal. We started this conversation talking about in, increasing the volume of metrics. That's not just so we can show we we're doing a lot of stuff. That's because, frankly, university commercialization is a, a volume game. It really is. High volume, low margin. Yeah. <laughs> so when you take an equity stake or, you know, you have these options and these royalty payments, and you talked a little bit about material sciences or biotech or agritech, you know, depending on the intellectual property or the business that comes out of those, does the revenue that, you know, comes back on these, on that 3% meaningful revenue, or even if not, does it go back to the department of which the innovator came from, or is it your office or what does that look like? And the reason why I ask that is, you know, cause as you try and build this out throughout Kentucky and throughout the United States, there's going to be different areas and schools that are focused on probably or better at certain things. So like, you know, there might be a play for you know, long-term revenue for these models that you're building, you know, depending on what they're good yeah. at. Yeah. Yeah. This university. game, um, it's, it's all about incentives. You have to understand that faculty scientists are brilliant people, but they're not driven by this type of activity. They're just not, it's not, mm -hmm. they're driven by their tenure and promotion, the way that they get promoted and advanced publications, publications, right. Um, and this is also one thing that I'm working on changing is, the actual tenure and promotion incentives. I was a part of a, the national study funded by the NSF uh, to build a new white paper that made recommendations about uh, broadening and making more inclusive the types of considerations for tenure and promotion to include entrepreneurial activities, innovation activities, and not just the traditional scholarly activities. So the incentives have to take place through the revenue process, the monetary motive. So yeah, we, we return 40% of anything that the university to, uh, derives to um, the pockets of our faculty. Since 2010, we love, I'd love to publish this stat. Since 2010, I think it's 18 million now, we've returned eight, over $18 million to our faculty. That's just us cutting checks, right, to our faculty for inventing things. Then we return uh, another 40% to the college and department of the faculty that invented uh, that thing because we're trying to reinvest some of the funds in new research. Uh, and then the final 20% at UK is retained by our research foundation. And that funds things like our office and, um, and our proof of concept fund and other cool investments that we can make in this, this infrastructure. Um, but you have to keep those incentives, right? If the university takes all of it, right? Yeah. Inventors just aren't going to be incentivized unless you can prove to them other things like patenting helps their career, which it, which it does. There are great empirical studies, which I love to show my faculty, that shows that if you patent and start uh, a company, you are 12 times more likely to be amongst the 10 most cited in your field. 
Mm. It's a really, it's a cool empirical study that got into sort of the dynamic of patenting and this kind of activity on the university innovators, scientists career um, themselves. Yeah. And what about like uh, working with larger corporations? Because I could see a lot of opportunity where, you know, there's a lot of research coming out of the university for all sorts of relevant fields. Is there any opportunity to, to collaborate with larger corporations who would really value that research and almost function as a sort of R and D arm for them? And then also have the equity stake in, in the research that's being done. Yeah. Yeah. This is where universities could get a lot better. One of the things that we have to look at from a macro level is where in this country funding for R&D is coming from. So if if you look at, and this is one of the things I'm going to talk about in my Venture Connectors talk, if you look at R&D expenditures at, in the United States since 2010, um, it's increased. And people might look at that and just say, look, we're increasing our R&D expenditures. But why is it increasing? It's not because the federal government is increasing its spending. In fact, between 2010 and 2015, the federal government decreased its spending. And then since 2015, it's sort of stayed the same, like around a, no, no more or less than a 1% change. The increase is from business. Industry in the past 10 years has really increased its spending on funding. And that's we see this at the universities. Uh, universities, the fastest growing area uh, of their research expenditures, other than themselves, universities are spending more on themselves to, to do research, is from industry, but it still only makes up on average around 6%, around 6 to 8% of the total university research portfolio is coming from industry funding. And those things, those two things don't make a lot of sense except for one differentiator, which is industry is usually more focused on applied science and universities know how to do basic science. Those two are merging slowly. As we look at this trend, universities are more and more doing applied science work, right? They're doing, industry is realizing we need universities to do some of this work for us. This is testing products. This is sort of some of the validation work on, on product development and universities because of their equipment, because of their expertise are doing more of this work. And one thing that we're, we're about to see in the next few years is the federal government really invest in that. That's, where, that's what China has been doing, investing in the applied science testing work that can be done at university academic institutions. And we'll see more of that, I think, here uh, in the U.S. See, so, you know, that's just at a macro level. And then so universities have to prepare for that. They have to get better at listening to industry, large and small companies, um, developing ways to collaborate with them, um, get better at understanding their needs and then matching it with their expertise. And that's what we're trying to do with our, our UK Innovation Connect. Yeah. And I think that's just so important because when you think about technology in general and, and new and emerging technologies coming out, kind of the source of that is going to be this research and development and, and science, applied science or general science, you know, that work that's being done by those people is oftentimes where a lot of that technology is kind of flowing from. So I think that's just a, a very important function to be playing. And it's exciting to hear that those two are starting to merge a little bit more and more attention is being paid to that. Um, and I know you mentioned there a second ago, the, the 18 million that you guys have paid out to faculty and that, that you're proud of that. We'd love to hear you, you know, brag a little bit more on any wins that come to mind or, or things you're particularly proud of uh, that the office has accomplished. Yeah. Well, so, you know, we love to shout out our, our wins and we've got, you know, we haven't just increased our team. We've increased our, our ability with the talent on our team. Our team is 
really just fantastic. We've got some amazing people. Laura Halligan that runs our, our Launch Blue. We recruited her from MIT. She's awesome. We've got uh, what we call commercialization managers. They're just really good at forming partnerships with our faculty, reaching out to, to industry, working and coaching, doing the de-risking stuff. Uh, we've got the leader of our intellectual property development team, Matt Upton. If you haven't gotten to know Matt and if you are in the IP space, you got to get to know Matt Upton. This guy was, you know, 14, 15 years doing patent litigation work before he came to us. And he's just, you know, a, a gem to have in this state, someone with you know, his ability to, to work on intellectual property strategically, uh, work with our faculty to teach them about the, the process. Those things are really important. And it's why we get to shout out some of our wins. One that I love to point to is, um, and it's a great example of sort of collaborative effort across the state uh, is PowerTech Water. Um, you know, we, mm. and, and the reason why I love, we love to shout out PowerTech Water, there are other ones that have, let's say, had um, larger exits or larger capital raises or um, things that might be more meaningful in a sort of a, an immediate revenue return to the university. Um, and PowerTech Water is nowhere near, you know, top license revenue partnerships that, that we have at the moment. But they're a, a clear example of being coachable, learning the process, working on their product, receiving funding from both the state public funds as well as private funds like BGA, uh, the Bluegrass Angels, and then working with people like David Goodnight um, in, our, in our community to really push that entity forward. And they've listened. They've they've done all the right things. They just raised over six million last year in, in a Series A round, uh, and they're headed to really cool places. That's a really cool example because it's a it's a product of all the right all the right steps. We have other great yeah. examples here in the state that didn't follow all of those same steps to take advantage of the things that have been offered to them, and they get to great places, which is which is great, right? We love to shout out the Climate Visions that that raise a hundred million, you know, from the Rise Fund and App Harvest that goes public out of nowhere. You know, those things are fantastic and good for the state because we need those stories to show that we have an active ecosystem here. Those are so important for a growing ecosystem too. You just have to kind of have the wins to point to and say, hey, this there is activity, exactly what you're saying there. And before we move on to kind of discussing this region particularly, one of the reasons we wanted to have Lincoln on is because uh, Lincoln has actually gone through the process right. of commercializing a technology from the university. I know that was before Ian was there, but Lincoln would just love to hear your take and, and what your experience was like going through this process as well. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I started my company back in 2016. It's about the time that Ian was getting started at UK. And so it was before UK had kind of invested in this entire process of taking entrepreneurs and inventors through training them and trying to get them to this commercialization function. So, you know, sitting where I'm at now, would have loved to been more involved in that from a in, inside UK standpoint, you know, from what I've been able to see you all accomplish, especially with the PowerTech Waters, who I've actually worked with uh, in one form or another over the past year or so. I think what I would say, uh, in anybody thinking about going through this process or at UK who wants to be a researcher is take advantage of all of the, the opportunities that are given to you. And there's a lot of people who are, who can get you to the point you want to be, but you kind of have to trust them and trust that they have your best interest in mind. And I've had nothing, nothing but good experiences in trying to bring intellectual property out of UK. Uh, but it's been very hard. And uh, I, I would say that any type of coach that you can get is very well appreciated and you should definitely take advantage of it. And yeah. Ian, I'm sure you've come across 
folks in the past who don't want anything to do with what you're offering, or they may they may want to just try and do it themselves. They think they can do it themselves. So, um, it can, what, what would you kind of say as, and even kind of, we talked about it earlier in bridging that gap, you know, do you have advice for people like that who are in, in those shoes? Well, I, I do. And I want to point out one thing, Lincoln, um, you're a great person to talk to because what you represent is what we hope more small businesses can do by leveraging the capabilities of a university. I know that you might have, you know, you all were developing your business before sort of the launch blue and, and things like that, but you guys have done a really good job working with uh, researchers and uh, the research expertise and capabilities of a university to validate a business model, to help develop, you know, machinery and things that can be used um, uh, in, in your business. And I think that's, you know, that's uh, a lot of people don't see that. Um, a lot of people don't see those kind of opportunities until we have to lay it out for them. That's what our industry partnering approach is going to be about. Um, but you guys are, are representative of, of that kind of a partnership with a university by a small business. And that's, that's great to see. My advice would Thank be exactly you. what you just said. Take advantage of the things that are offered, but trust in them. And I think that's where we mm, lose right. a lot of the uh, – or, or we spend a lot of time having to overcome objection is because – People don't understand what sort of uh, the dichotomy between ownership of intellectual property and support for getting to the next next place. And so we have that discussion with faculty a lot who invent things and they don't really understand why the university would own something that they create. But that's where our resources come in. Right? We, we are incentivized to commit our resources and do this coaching and find capital and things like that for our startups because – the university has an ownership interest and, and an economic interest as well that can be aligned. And that's how you incentivize, you know, that kind of help and support. You know, I love to throw this, this stat out. Um, before 2016, I think one of you mentioned SBAR, and that's something we've focused on here in the state a lot because we haven't had a lot of private capital uh, available at the early stage of company development. So a lot of our companies, just as a state, we rely on SBAR more heavily than other states, uh, relatively. We had 55 startups that were spun out of the University of Kentucky between 1992 and 2016 that received SBIR funding, which is great. And so they all got some funding to work on their product development. Almost every single one of those was led by a faculty member as leader executive of that startup, of that small business startup company. Less than 10% yeah. of those, less than five of those raised follow-on private capital. That's the gap we have to fix um, is the understanding before you get into SBAR, as an example, before you get to those stages, you have to develop the commercialization pathway, the, the understanding of product market fit. Um, I love to show there was a, a great graph that was published by Forbes, which showed the top reason that I think they pulled like uh, a thousand startup companies and they, they were just basically identifying the reasons you failed. And the top three reasons that companies failed had nothing to do with their product or technology not working. Right? It was about the product fit with the market. It was about team. Did you have an actual team and management team that was that knew what they were doing? And then it was access to capital. And those are those are different things. And by the way, capital funds team and management more than it does technology. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important. You you kind of mentioned there the intellectual property part of it. If you're faculty that's taking your first stab at starting a company, that's probably the most intimidating part is you know, intellectual property, how much ownership do I give up? How much uh, should the university get? But I think 
reframing that and saying, you know, the university is a partner that is going to help propel you with connections and access to capital and coaching and all of those different resources that, that you guys offer. I think the more that you, the more work you guys do around reframing that narrative, uh, the more success that you'll start to see with that. And it, it sounds like you're already doing a great job of making sure that the faculty are aware of that and felt like, you know, like they're not being taken advantage of, which is a, a theme that we've kind of touched on several times through here. So I think having that understanding is probably one of the most important parts uh, of this entire process. Um, but to turn things kind of towards this region, uh, you specifically uh, in, in your position have access to a lot of a lot of the movers and shakers in the state. Um, what are you seeing that has you excited right now? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's hard to hide my excitement in where I think we're headed. And I know I keep using this term, but I, I truly believe we're at an inflection point here in the state in uh, momentum and opportunities that could be coming our way. I spent a lot of time recently focusing on preparing us as a, as a state, as a region, to be a leader of a regional opportunity to capture flow of federal investment that, that will be coming. I, I mentioned the presentation to Venture Connectors coming up. I'm calling it kind of a, a Sputnik moment for our country, not just for Kentucky, but there's one for Kentucky as well. The Sputnik moment of today is a little harder to see because it's been happening over time, which is China has been taking a leadership role in the world in their innovation and technology development capabilities. So there's finally a point of enlightenment at our federal government that they need to do something that they haven't done since the Sputnik moment of the 1950s, which is to really ante up our investment in R&D. Uh, and that starts with R&D investment at university research. So it's interesting, and, and bringing us to the Kentucky point here, the Sputnik moment for Kentucky is, again, happened happening over a, a period of time, and we've all kind of wondered how did this happen and blah, 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 is that cities around us have gotten to milestone points that we still haven't yet gotten to, right? Um, look at states like Indiana, Ohio, below us in Tennessee, the states that surround us. The amount, just one example is the amount of assets under venture capital assets under management in those states versus us. We're low on the totem pole there, right? Only West Virginia has sort of the, the assets under management that we do, which is much lower, um, you know, four, five, six, seven X lower than those states um, in venture, access to venture capital. So it's kind of a Sputnik moment for us that we need to reinvest and invest in, in our capabilities uh, to grow. What I'm excited about is the, the discussion on Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill about this federal investment is about redistributing the innovation landscape in the country. And I truly believe that Kentucky is as eligible or more eligible for one of these giant investments to be a regional technology hub uh, from our federal government as anyone else in the country. And the reason is because it's all about ROI. It, it's If you read the papers that like the NSF is relying on around this idea of place-based invention or, or investment to redistribute the innovation landscape of the U.S., it's about where can we get the most return for that investment, right? You're not going to get a lot of bang for your buck in Kentucky. Your, that's right. Kentucky, a lot of bang for your buck. We like to say we're an, we are an EPSCOR state, right? But we're also one of the uh, most capable of all of the 29 EPSCOR states were close to graduating um, uh, potentially because we have capabilities that are very high for an EPSCOR, for an EPSCOR state, right? Um, uh, the University of Kentucky is, um, I think, third or fourth in um, amount of research expenditures at an R1 research institution amongst all institutions in EPSCOR states. 
Um, and so, you know, just interrupt. Tell us what EBSCOR is. Sure. Just for yeah, yeah. So, so EBSCOR is an NSF National Science Foundation program that was developed uh, to earmark uh, an amount of money that the NSF spends on certain states that receive a lower amount of overall federal funding for research. And so they they created this program with, I think, about only six or seven states. It's grown to 29 states out of 50 that are EPSCOR states that receive an allotted amount of funding from the NSF every year because they are sort of an underserved state when it comes to um, federal funding for research. Uh, so we're one of those right. states. Uh, we're also one of the most capable of those states um, for what we for what we do. We're close to the threshold of what it means to to actually qualify for non being a non score state. So the ROI to us is is enormous. That makes us enormously competitive, right? Plus, we're right in the middle of the country, and that proximity thing runs in our favor here. We're not just in one pocket or another. We're truly, I mean, we're confused as a state. We don't know whether we're Southeast or Midwest. And I think that's a great thing uh, because it, it helps us. So I'm, I'm excited for that and what it's going to create, but I'm excited for the preparedness that's going on right now. Our university and the University of Louisville have been working together on this for over a year. We're developing an understanding of where we could be, what are our strengths, what should our strengths be, how do we tell that story. We're developing websites around this. We're doing some really cool things. And then at the University of Kentucky, we're developing new capabilities that we have to be able to show that we have. I mentioned the access to capital. One of the biggest draw, you know, drawdown points for Kentucky is that access to that, that venture capital assets under management. We have to change that. Uh, and so at UK, and we haven't formally announced this, and this is not a formal announcement, but we're, we're serving to change that right now by developing a venture capital fund and entity that's connected with a university to serve this ecosystem that's connected to University of Kentucky because we need that. We need captive funds here that supplement and complement the angel fund network that we have. Because right now, our the Bluegrass Angels and a few other angel networks, Queen City and others in this state, is the existence of our a- access to private capital. Uh, and we have to change that. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we hear most consistently on this podcast with when we talk to companies that have gone through the fundraising process. I mean, even Evan is going through it right now. Trying to raise capital here is just a lot harder than if you were to go out to Silicon Valley or some of the more traditional uh, startup hubs. And one of the next questions that I wanted to ask is like, give us a sense of how big of a deal UK is to the state. But I think you're just laying it out right there. I mean, yeah. you're going over the num- one of the number one complaints we hear on this podcast is access to capital. You guys are already paying attention to that. Yeah. So I just want to emphasize that for the listeners, the role that the University of Kentucky is playing, and specifically uh, the Office of, of Technology Commercialization, is a really vital role to this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I uh, just wanted to really hit on that, that you know what you guys are doing is uh, is huge for this ecosystem. Well, I think it's too, it's, it's you're building an ecosystem that is going to attract venture capital probably organically given enough time. Mm-hmm. And and what you're doing is accelerating that. Hopefully those you know, eyes focusing on our region. So I think it's just great. And where do you kind of see the future of commercialization with UK? Uh, do you look to focus on more of getting those federal dollars, building up the university to, to boast those abilities to get them or, or kind of partner with other universities or how are you going to bring it all together? Yeah. Yep. Um, the, the partnership aspect is is incredibly important here. I mentioned we want to be a leader, but we can't do that alone. We can't compete for these this this potential windfall of federal investment alone. We have to do it as a, a sort of a collective 
consortia that represents the region. And that starts in partnership between UK and UofL to work on things as the two R1 institutions of the state. But again, we can't even do that alone. We need the other sister institutions of our state to work with us. So we've developed programs uh, like our Kentucky Commercialization Ventures program. We're the only state that has something like that, that brings all of our Mm. regional universities and community and technical college systems sort of together to do commercialization and to lean on sort of the capabilities that UK and UofL can create for them. And then we have to get intentional about preparedness for the ecosystem. We, you know, it's one thing to say we impact the economy and we do economic development. It's another to actually sort of play a leadership, step out in front role to create the assets right. that we need to have. So that that venture fund is a, an example of that. Uh, where all right, if no one's going to step out and and create this you know, tech startup focused venture fund in our state, we're going to do it. And, you know, I, I see future collaborations around that kind of a capability with the University of Louisville, with other universities uh, in our state, and then in, in, in our region uh, as well. Uh, I think it's important that as a region, I, I love to show people this, that um, Lexington, Kentucky and Louisville, Kentucky together form the centric point of a 250 mile radius that has nine R1 research institutions. Um, between those research institutions, they, they together account for five billion in research, over 500 patents issued per year, over a hundred startups formed per year. There's only four other cities in the country that can say the same thing. That's San Francisco, that's Boston, that's New York, and that's Philadelphia. Right. If you drew a 250 mile radius around any one of those cities, you get those same stats. No other centric point of a 250 mile radius in the country can meet those metrics. So, you know, we play an important centric region, regional innovation role uh, here. And so we're going to we're going to continue to build on that on that leadership capability. Man, and that just uh, that just reinforces what we've been saying for a while about Louisville and Lexington being more of a collaborative and cohesive startup ecosystem rather than their own separate ecosystems. Uh, that exactly right there is is why we, we're starting to take more of a regional approach with middle tech, just because we see the oppor- opportunities for collaboration. And exactly what you're saying is kind of at the hub of that, is the different research universities and the funding going into them. So yeah. uh, you've given us a lot of reasons to be optimistic, and it's just been it's been awesome to hear the work that's being done here, especially in Lexington, since that's where you know Middle Tech was was started. Yep. Right at UK. You guys are doing some neat stuff. What the role that you all are playing uh, is awesome. Going back to the we mentioned the first time I was on this podcast. You know, at that point, I'm sure your audience and and touch was was less than it is now. I know it is because I see <laughs> Middle Tech mentioned all over the place now, uh, which uh-huh. is great. So you guys play an important role in creating additional visibility to our leadership capability in this region um, and making sure that we're acting as a region um, together. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that for sure. Well, b- before we let you go here, we just want to give you a chance to uh, to plug where people can go to learn more about UK's Office of Technology Commercialization and any of the programs that uh, might be worthy of them getting involved with. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. UK Innovate now has its own website. If you just Google UK, don't don't Google UK Innovate because it'll take you to some United Kingdom stuff. UKY <laughs> Innovate will take you to our UK Innovate website. Um, you can get from there to our Office of Technology Commercialization webpage. 
page uh, to find more about Launch Blue, which I've talked a lot about here. Uh, go to launchblue.org. They do a great job of creating uh, a web presence and visibility around their programs and what they do. I also mentioned a couple of things that, that are still in development, but will have, set, have websites soon. One of them is focused on this sort of case for Kentucky as a eligible region for some of this federal investment. We'll have a website uh, around that soon. And then we'll also be telling the public more about our venture fund capabilities uh, soon. Awesome. Well, that's all exciting stuff. We're excited to stay updated as you guys continue to do that and keep sharing your story. Um, but thanks so much for coming on and updating us on everything going on at UK uh, OTC. Thanks, guys. Appreciate having me on.